0: Hello, and welcome to Thrive, a podcast that gives you strategies and inspiration to help you live your best life.
1: Learn from us, two cancer survivors, as we show you how we don't just survive, but thrive. Hi, I'm Dara Kurtz, creator of crazyperfectlife.com, a place to go to help you find meaning each day, and author of the book Crush Cancer, the book I needed when I heard those terrifying words, you have cancer, available on Amazon.
0: Hi, I'm Garth Callahan. I am a 7 time cancer thriver. But more importantly, I am also the original napkin notes dad. I've been writing notes to my daughter, Emma, and sticking them into her lunch ever since kindergarten.
1: We are so happy to introduce you to Dr. Catherine Perlman. She is a licensed clinical social worker who has been working with children and families for more than 20 years. She's an assistant professor of social work at Brandman University and received a PhD in social welfare from Yeshiva University and a master's of social work from New York University. Catherine is the founder of The Family Coach and author of the book, Ignore It. Catherine, welcome. Uh, Thanks for having me. We are so happy that you're here. We actually have kind of a a serious topic today because we've been asked this a lot, but today we're gonna talk about how to talk to your kids about serious news, serious business, maybe giving them hard news and the best way to do that. Okay, that is a good topic. Yes, so tell us a little bit about maybe what comes to mind in terms of your experiences when we mention that topic.
2: You know, a lot of parents have the conversation with their kids. In their heads many times before they actually have it and they build up the anxiety they you know they want the conversation to go well maybe the parent is dealing with something serious whether it's an illness or a divorce or a death they're themselves are nervous so you have your own feelings to deal with and then you also have your kids feelings which you're trying to work through and manage as best as possible and that's very hard when you're also going through something so it's a matter of managing your own feelings and then also being able to think clearly ahead of time about how to approach with the kids
0: so i actually just read an article this morning about a really difficult situation where a, a, divorced mom was not able to maintain her household. And in the process of being evicted, she went to live with, I think a brother and she took her son with them. It started out as a quote unquote weekend trip and, yeah. they, and they, and they never went back and it was months until she was able to confide in her son what was really going on? And I mean, talk about burying the problem. I cannot imagine yeah. that situation and how difficult it would be. But also as the sun to wake up one day and realize that, you know, you left all of your things at that house because you didn't know that you were never going back.
2: Mm. Yeah. You know, there's so many problems with that scenario, and it's also really, really common. And mostly because parents are really trying to do the best they can. They're trying to protect their kids, but in protecting them, they create so much more stress and anxiety in the kids. And so that kid, I'm sure, was probably wondering, what is going on and probably felt more insecure about the situation than if the parent had been able to let them know. I mean, we don't like talking to our kids about finances. We don't like talking about our health or our relationships, but kids make all kinds of assumptions and often they're worse than the truth. Um, and so being able to like, tell them the truth and, let, and calm their fears and talk about it openly is always much better tact.
1: I love that you said that parents kind of bring their own stress and insecurities to the table when they're talking to their kids about serious things. And I feel like our kids really, they can feel that even if we don't think that they are paying attention to kind of what we're going through. I definitely feel like our kids, they sense when things are going on or um, maybe when we are really anxious about something. But is there a particular time or age, or what is the best way to sort of give kids serious news, but keep the, the age of the kids in mind at the same time? Because you don't want to give them too much than they can handle or too much that they can carry, but there's certain better way to handle that.
2: Yeah. So obviously, you
1: know, a preschooler can
2: handle much less information than a teenager can. And so you do have to Think age appropriately about what the child can handle. But at the same token, you have to be honest. You have Mm -hmm. to use real words. If it's a divorce, you say divorce. If it's a death, you say death. You don't say passed on. If it's a disease, you actually call it by the name of the disease, even for a three year old. But for a three year old, you're probably not going to go into details about treatment or going into details about symptomology. Whereas for a teenager, you may well do that. So I do think you have to think of, what your child can handle in terms of their age, but also how much time this conversation can be. You know, if you have a little one, this is going to be, you've got three minutes. You know, you, mm-hmm. that's it. And maybe the conversation will continue at a later time, maybe bedtime a couple days later, or picking up the child from school, the child might have a question. You have a couple minutes and that's it. Older children, you can sit down and have a much longer conversation. So you have to know what, how much time your kid can handle as well.
1: So many parents struggle with, should we be completely honest with our kids when we have something serious to tell them? But what is your thought on that? And I feel like you maybe just answered it a second ago that you should be honest, but and some of it is that the kids have access to the internet. If you tell them something, they're going to Google away and figure out statistics and you know, whatever. So talk to us a little bit about how honest should you be? I think you
2: should be pretty honest. Honestly, if they don't hear from you, they're going to overhear a conversation in the kitchen that you think they're not listening to, or they're going to overhear you when you're on the phone and you didn't realize that they were in the backseat of the car or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Um, They will hear it and they will, they will Google it and you'll never actually even know about it. So it's better for you to provide the information and then you can even address the internet and you can say, look, there's all mm-hmm. kinds of things on the internet And they're not my doctor or they're not our family situation, whatever's there. You can bring it to me. You can ask me your questions, but you can't go with what's on the Internet. And for a younger kid, they need to know what we're talking about here so that they can put words to their feelings. And if we're just saying mommy's sick or mommy doesn't feel well or something like that, they're not going to really understand what does this mean, you know, and how do I even talk about this? And how do I talk about this in months from now? So I always think honesty is the best policy. And then also parents sometimes say a fib or they say they don't know something and they can't keep that up. And so Mm. then they say something else months later and the kid's like, wait a second, you said something totally different before. And the older the kid, the more angry that's going to make them. And the younger the kid, the more confused and anxious it's going to make them. And so for me, you can always say less, but whatever you do say has to be the truth.
0: And kids have this incredible memory, much better than adults, and and they're going to remember what you said word for word. So Emma was, I think, 11 when I was first diagnosed with cancer. I had to ask questions like, do you know what cancer is? Right. Because if I just said, hey, cancer, I had no idea if she understood what that concept was. And it reminds me of this joke that I heard that you really have to understand where your kids are and and go to meet them where they are as opposed to try to talk to them as a full adult. And the joke is this eight-year-old girl comes into the living room and and says to her dad, hey, dad, what's sex? And he's thinking, oh gosh, he's eight years old. What do I do? And he just lays it all out there and (laughs) tells the whole story. And then he says, well, honey, why, you know, can I ask why? why are you curious about this? And she said, oh, because mom said that dinner would be ready in a couple of sex.
1: Oh, that's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. I love that. Only Garth would um, tell a joke while we're talking a little bit about when he told Emma that he had cancer.
0: Well, you know, when, um, but
1: you do have to keep your sense of humor. I mean, I actually think that's really important.
0: You do. And this, so Emma has been dealing with this for eight years, as, as long as I have. And I still struggle with what to tell her when and it's not because i don't want her to know it's because i'm really trying to protect her and i think that most parents yeah. are coming at this from that type of perspective so our story went viral and part of the the viralness was an what was an article about a dying dad and to be honest although my prognosis was not fantastic i wasn't actively dying I remember Lisa, my wife, coming to me and saying, hey, you know, do we need to talk to Emma about this? There's this story on Facebook about a dying dad. And I said to her, no, Emma's not on Facebook. Nobody's paying attention to the story. It doesn't matter. Um, we, We don't even have to think about it. And within 48 hours, it had been picked up by major news stories and was everywhere else. And I finally had to sit down and talk to Emma about what, statistics meant and what they meant for our family and be very open and honest. But even just last year, when I was going in, I had a radiation brain surgery in the fall, that surgery happened to take place on the same day of Emma's first day of college class. And I really struggled with whether or not to tell her that I was going in for surgery that day because I didn't want to add to her burden. But I also recognized that she was going to find out about it and that would have really damaged our relationship on top yeah. of every all of the other stress.
2: I think also if you ask most kids... Would they rather know information even though it's going to make them have a bad day or they rather you wait until they have their birthday party or their first day of school or something like that and tell them later? Most kids will be angry that you didn't tell them and they would want to be able to handle it with you or be there with you or to know and be part of the conversation than later. And I think you're right. It does kind of damage the relationship in a way that was not intended. And, you know, parents are obviously... They're trying to do their best. And when you yourself are going through something, it's a lot harder because you're managing your own emotions and then you have to
1: also manage your child. I was older when my mom was diagnosed with cancer. I was in my 20s, but I always remembered feeling like, are you telling me everything? Is there anything that you're keeping from me? I remember saying like, okay, y'all have to, talking about my mom and my dad, tell me what we're dealing with, because I can deal with what I know we're dealing with, but it's all the other things that I, that my mind goes to, or things that I don't know. I don't want to feel like you're hiding something from me because that causes me so much more anxiety. And so I always tried to keep that in mind when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. It's been five years, but it's hard because I remember looking at my kids and and Avi was 11 and Zoe was older. She was 14. But I remember thinking, I don't want to be doing permanent damage to them. What am I doing to them? And that was so heart-wrenching for me. Just kind of how does, and I feel like we're still even seeing some side effects of really what my family went through five years ago, even coming out now. So, you know, when a child who's 11 goes through something serious, what is the permanent damage, if you will? I mean, there's, there are definitely good things that come from it as well, but walk us through that a little bit, Catherine, and what can parents do to kind of help their kids with that?
2: Look, you can't take pain away that's there, you know, and we have to allow kids to have their feelings. And I I think that's one mistake we often make is we try and just make it better, but they have real feelings. And if we don't address them, that's kind of where the damage comes in later on, at least being able to talk about our pain, talk about our feelings, having a mental health day and staying home from school and just cuddling all day and just being there together, doing what the kid needs, doing what the family needs. You know, I always say when there's a big change it's good to keep things consistent because that gives kids comfort. But at the same time, it's also good to look at what kids need. And sometimes what they need is not consistency. They need a family bed or they need a, a mental health day home or they they need an ice cream party or something. You know, They need something that we don't normally do, but we have to kind of be open to it. But we can't do that every day because then that really does lose the structure. So I think keeping some structure makes kids feel comfortable and it helps parents because they don't have to think so much about what we're doing. We know everything is on schedule. We know what's on board and it kind of helps, but I'm I'm a therapist. I'm a big believer in therapy at multiple times in children and adults lives. And sometimes it's not the right time. So usually parents think, okay, I've just been diagnosed or I'm just getting divorced now, or something's happening. We're losing our house. We should go for therapy now. And the kid may be in no way ready at all to deal with anything. They don't even know what's happening. They can't even put words to it. But maybe a year or two later, we start to see behavior change. We start to see feelings come out and maybe then is a good time. And so, you know, kind of having an open mind about watching your kids. And sometimes we jump in and we're like looking for all the big feelings right away and they're not there. The other day, I happened to be donating my kidney in a couple of weeks, and.
1: Oh, my Me. goodness. I feel like we need to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. And I love how you're just like, oh, and in a couple weeks, by the way, I'm. <laughs> by the way, I'm
2: donating my kid- kidney to a stranger oh, in a gosh. few
1: weeks.
0: But you know uh, what? In in, in in the group that, that we have, the three of us, that actually isn't that odd of a sentence if you think about it.
2: <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm sure you guys have said everything. So, I mean, I, I went through all the testing and my husband obviously knew, but we didn't tell the kids until we knew it was a go. And recently, we sat them down to tell them at dinner. Or, I'm nervous, and it was like I told them I was getting my tooth pulled. Like, how, how it, old are your
1: kids now? Tell and my kids it are now.
2: are 12 and 15. Okay, and they literally, it was like I told them I was going to the dentist and I'm having my tooth out. Like, they it, mm-hmm. nothing registered whatsoever, and I was like, okay, moving on. This <laughs> will register for them for sure later when mommy's going to the hospital when mommy doesn't feel well. Like. There's going to be more conversations, but we put it out there. And I will say, my son's first reaction was, how long did you know this? Mm. Right? He wanted to be in on, on the discussions earlier on. And that's something that I've had to address, you know, in conversations that happened after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, sometimes you give the information and then you just watch. You wait and see how the kids are going to react. And if they look OK, they're OK for now. Check in again. A couple of days later, hey, I wanted to... Talk to you about what we talked about the other day. And I'm wondering if you had
1: any questions or you
2: had any thoughts or,
1: you know, anything came up for you. So what are some signs that maybe your child is ready to have therapy? Like if you tell them news and then, like you said, they might not be ready to kind of talk about it. So you wait a little while. What are some of those signs that parents should pay attention to?
2: So one thing I would let the kids know right away is that there, you may have feelings that come up and you may not know how to talk about them. So you can always come to me and tell me, or you can come to aunt Sally who you're really close Mm -hmm. to or grandma or your counselor at school. Um, But if there isn't somebody you feel comfortable with, then there's somebody called the therapist and kind of you can introduce the idea in the very beginning. And we can always find someone for you to talk to because you may not always feel comfortable talking to me. You know, if you're the one that's diagnosed or you're the one that's got the issue, they may not want to share their feelings with you because they don't want to hurt you or they don't want to put more pressure on you. And so we want to let them know there's an opportunity for you to talk to somebody else where you don't have to worry about my feelings, where you can just really go you know, talk about what you need to talk about. So just kind of present that at multiple times. But, you know, parents will know that their kids need to talk when they're talking less than they normally do. They're acting out more than they normally do. They're more obnoxious or maybe reclusive. They're in their room a lot. They have their earphones in more than they normally do. They're starting to do worse at school, things like that.
1: Okay. You know, you are kind of describing just a normal t- teenager yeah. a little a little
2: bit there. I'm just kidding. Well, it's so, so true. It's so true, but it's honestly it's like more than whatever their norm is. Okay. You know, that, that's what I said. They have their earphones in more than usual or they want to be alone more than usual. It's well,
0: true. And I I think Dara, both you and I went to our children's schools and we said, "Hey, look, here's what's going on in our family. Please pay attention." And Mm -hmm. let us know if you see some behavioral changes that we need to to help out on or to make sure that Emma, you know, in my case, Emma has somebody to talk to. Because what I did find is that both my wife and daughter were really good about keeping bad feelings to themselves Mm -hmm. um, and with each other because they didn't want to add to my burden. I think that's
1: probably normal.
0: Yeah, and so, mm-hmm. so I, I really wanted to, you know, especially after I found that out, I wanted to make sure that Emma had resources available to her, but we had to kind of understand where she was coming from. And, you know, what if if on a day-to-day basis she was okay, but every once in a while she was struggling, I wanted her teacher to be able to tell us what was going on.
2: I think also that's a great idea and because your teacher is with your kid so much more than you are in a lot of ways. But I also think it might be helpful to talk to some neighbors and family members who the child happens to be close with and say, you know what, can you keep checking in on my child? I know they're not going to talk to me. I would love it if you could kind of keep an eye on them. And and, and there are a lot of things you can talk to each other and don't share with me. If the child is more comfortable and you think it's it's okay, you don't have to share everything with me. You can keep it private. And I've had that with my nephews, and I also have a younger sister who's 18 years younger than me. And we've always had that same deal where you know, you can speak with me, and unless you're in real danger... I'm not gonna share it because then that opens the communication. So sometimes it's helpful to, you know, bring in the village at this point and because you, you, you're also dealing with your own stuff and the kid doesn't wanna talk to you anyway because it's too much of a burden. So to get the, you know, the school and the neighbors and close family members involved to kind of check in on the kid.
0: You know, I, I actually um, did that recently. So my daughter's 19, she's almost 20. And last year I asked one of my very dear friends... Um, Colonel Parker Schenacher, to be Emma's godfather. And it was kind of a a weird, awkward conversation because Emma was baptized as an older child and we didn't really have godparents or anything like that. But Parker and I go way back and we both have very similar viewpoints as dads. And coincidentally, Emma is going to university where he attended and so he goes there pretty frequently, or it's very near and dear to his heart, as is Emma. And I sat down with him and I said, you know, I don't know where my life is going, but you might have the opportunity to talk to Emma in person more than I do. Would you mind being her godfather and check in on her and and be that sounding board who's not her dad?
2: Yeah, Yeah. I think that's actually a really big gift you gave her because it's not that easy to step away sometimes. And to not be that person and to let someone else take that
1: role. I didn't really think about post traumatic stress disorder that much until I would say even a few years ago. So it's been five years since I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And, you know, we are very blessed to have that behind us. But I see really different things triggering my kids and even myself it blows my mind how something so random really kind of puts us all in this space of really PTSD. And it took a little while for me to even be able to identify that that's really what it was because kind of why we were in the middle of going through it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just one example was we were all great. I woke up on a Saturday morning, felt great, ate something, didn't feel so great and really just not feeling great for about an hour, put my kids in like this complete state of freaking out. Talk a little bit about how parents can manage that because I didn't even really think about the fact that that could be a thing. Yeah. And your kids are old
2: enough where you can actually talk to them about that. But little kids, just get triggered by something and they don't have all these big feelings and they, they don't even know why. Um, it's so interesting about PTSD. I think it's a really good point. Little things can trigger. It could be a smell, even it could be a noise, It could be bumping into someone, you know, when you're not well, there's all kinds of machines and loss of weight and hair and people look different and you bump into people who look like that. Mm -hmm. And, and even like you said, even just not feeling well, everyone panics for a quick second until we realize, okay, we're okay, we're okay. Or maybe we're not okay. And that just adds to it. So I think it's really important to think about the long-term effects. Like you said, you can pass through whatever the challenging time is, but that, is still always real and it's still always present and it can come up like that. And so that's something to address and to talk to the kids about, not always when it happens, but I like to have those conversations with kids to say, you know, this is the kind of thing that comes up all the time. I like to use like news stories like Garth Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier or something if we're watching TV, like even American Idol and someone's talking about a story about something and I might even say, you know, that brought up a memory for me and I'm I'm feeling kind of sad now. Or sometimes that can bring up something. Did that bring up anything for you guys? Um, and put it out there and address it, not always when it's happening, but so that they know that these things happen.
1: Can you ever get to a point where you've worked through the PTSD or, and, and it's not going to be a trigger? Like something's not going to happen and it'll, it just won't trigger you? Or is it always there if something happens and you're 11 and you have hard news?
2: Oh no! I think you can work through things. Exactly. Absolutely, you may still f- feel things, but it mm. won't bring on the fear, anxiety, and depression to a you know a level where you're not able to go to school or eat or you know where you're having big feelings and things. You'll always recognize it, but it won't necessarily be the same traumatic experience. Absolutely, you can work through it.
0: I have a a really weird question. Mm. Um, in that my family has a, a somewhat dark and dry sense of humor. And Dara's definitely experienced that. And we're also pretty sarcastic. We got to a point, so I've been dealing with cancer on and off for eight years, mostly on. My wife will look at me in the kitchen and she'll say, oh, can you take out the trash? And I put my hand on my back uh, because I had kidney cancer. And and I say, oh, my cancer. I don't think I can do that right now. (laughs) Yeah. And so... You know, as as we work through this, is that something that we need to be more aware of around our child? You know, Emma will, just this past weekend, we were Does she were think together. it's
1: funny when she sees you, hears you do that?
0: Well, we've joked together about it. You know, I can't remember, there was something that came up this past weekend and I think I wanted to get in line first or whatever. And, and I was like, oh, I have cancer. And Emma looked at me and she's like, well, you know, my dad has cancer. Mm-hmm. And of course, (laughs) (laughs) so um, we do, we, Emma and I have very similar senses of humor, but again, not recognizing that not every child is like that. Not every child has a, a certain maturity level to handle that type of humor. You know, what do you recommend for parents about getting to a point where you can in fact recognize the silliness of a particular situation because it's so sad that it's comical.
2: Yeah, I love the use of humor. Absolutely. To me, there's never a time where humor is not a potential moment saver or just to lighten up. However, there is a time where it's not appreciated when a kid's actually feeling something and a parent uses humor to deflect then the kids not actually being heard or being mm. able to process. So just laughing about something like can I get my ice cream first, you know, oh my kidney hurts I have cancer. <laughs> That's fantastic, you know. But in a moment when the kids sort of breaking down and trying to make a joke of it that pushes them away actually. And we do that as a defense mechanism, right? We do that because we don't want to feel the feelings they're feeling. We don't want them to feel the feelings they're feeling. And we just kind of want to get through it. And that's understandable. This is tough times, but it's not the time for that. So I love humor when it's not a serious time or any other time, but when the kid needs to talk, then not then.
1: A lot of people feel a lot of guilt when they are going through a divorce or a health issue or something and they see the stress that causes their child. A lot of adults feel the guilt from that. What are some things that we can do to tell ourselves about kind of making ourselves feel a little bit better in terms of managing that?
2: The guilt is always there. First of all, to recognize it so that you don't act out on it by giving in to so many things. Mm. Um, a lot of times parent feels guilty and then
1: so <laughs> they, you know. Yeah. I just have to tell this story. <laughs> it just made me think of it. And when I was first diagnosed, it was like this horrible hard weekend and we blah, 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 we were told the kids. And I remember this when you said that, so apparently, Avi said to me, "Can I decorate? can I redecorate my room?" And I said, "Sure, you can redecorate your room." And she said, "Great. How much money can I have to redecorate my room?" And in that moment, I th- literally think I said, "Oh." you can have $3,000 to redecorate your room. <laughs> and <laughs> that was like, t- totally my guilt. And yeah. of course, I we never gave her that. And then I remember like a few months later, she kind of was like, mom, you promised me that I could have $3,000 to redecorate my room. And I was just kind of like, yeah, but I was re- feeling really guilty about that. I mean, that was handled so badly I mean, but that's a perfect example of I felt such guilt and if she wanted to redecorate her room, yes, I was going to let her do that. And I mean, obviously, from a, a counseling therapist perspective, I'm sure there's like so many wrong things with that, but the guilt is definitely there.
2: Sure. I mean, the guilt is there and that's a normal reaction. The kid's not feeling well, you know, if kids feeling sad, you want to make them feel better. Yeah. But sometimes it's you can't make them feel better. You know, we have to let kids feel their feelings because yeah. when we always try and make them feel better, it actually makes them feel worse later on. You know, one thing about when a parent gets sick or there's a divorce or a grandparent dies or a parent loses a job or something like that, you know, it's real life early for kids. And that isn't Uh always a terrible thing. You know, learning to deal with scary stuff as a kid helps you deal with scary stuff as an adult if you deal with it properly, you know? But if we don't allow kids to deal with it properly, then they don't learn the tools and they don't learn to talk about things or manage their feelings. And then it does get, act on our guilt. It's good to recognize the guilt. Look, it's there, it's normal. But if we act on our guilt all the time, then the kids actually, it's like a bottomless pit. It doesn't Uh help them actually feel better and then they just want more and more and more, and we give more and more and more, and then it kind of gets out of control and we, and parents need to bring it back. So mostly I just say, recognize it. Look, if you give in out of guilt, sometimes it's not the worst thing in the world, but if you're acting on that a lot, just to really, like you said, kind of think about it and say, wait a minute, this has gone too far. This isn't where we really need to go. And honestly, your kids are not the place for you to work through your own feelings. And I always recommend therapy for the grown ups, even when they don't think they need it, because it's going to come out in other ways, most likely yelling at your kids, giving into stuff when you know you shouldn't give in, buying things that are unnecessary, things like that. It's going to come out. So try and you know, at least deal with your own stuff as much as you can. Look, you're a human being and we, we all mess it up. You know, we all do the things I just said we shouldn't do. But at least every now and then to recognize, hey, wait a minute, well, this is not where we want to be and t- and pull and pull it back.
1: I'm such a big fan of counseling and therapy. And I love that you said that.
0: Yeah.
1: Garth, do you have a napkin note for us today?
0: I do. One of the things that we do on the Thrive Podcast is I have this massive catalog of napkin notes that I've written to my daughter. I started writing notes to her back when she was in kindergarten and she's gotten one pretty much every day for lunch. And even through college, I actually just wrote out the last bunch of freshman napkin notes that she needs so that she can have a a note every single day from me uh, with her lunch. And so I was trying to find a note that was really germane to the conversation today and a lot of my notes are sports themed because emma was very involved in softball and i found one that is really appropriate to parents having to struggle with how to give bad news to their kids and you know ultimately they have to do it right they can't keep it a secret because that's just going to harm the child much more than telling them the news and so this note is uh, dear emma one of the most difficult things you do is hit the softball and even when you do you'll probably still be out still get up to bat love dad
2: Mm. oh beautiful
0: well and and if you think about that right even the best softball or best baseball player they're going to be out at least 70 percent of the time but they still walk up to the plate and give it their all and that's what we as parents have to do when it comes to communicating bad news to our kids
1: yep and do it through the lens of love, really. I mean, I feel like that's so important. And if we do that, then I feel like we're all gonna be okay at the end of the day. Absolutely. Catherine, a lot of times we ask our guest for a thriving tip, which is a little extra nugget of goodness. So I'm putting you on the spot here, but do you have any thriving tip that you could share with our audience today about this topic? I would say that mostly my tip is, it's not a one and done. This is, you're
2: in for the long haul. It doesn't all have to be said on the first conversation or the first 10. It may never get resolved. These are heavy things that we're dealing with, but to just stick with it, you know, encourage open communication, encourage questions and just keep checking in. I love
1: that. That is very helpful, actually. Thank you so much. Dr. Catherine Perlman, founder of The Family Coach. We will have all of her links in the show notes. Check out her book on Amazon. Ignore it. And definitely check out The Family Coach website that she has. It's definitely full of lots and lots of good tips. We are so appreciative that you're here today. Thank you.
0: It's been a true pleasure. Thank you.
1: Thank you both. It's been great being here.
0: Thanks for listening. Thrive is created with the hope that we help you develop motivation and inspiration to make your life remarkable. You can find out more about me at napkinnotesdad.com.
1: I invite you to get my free audio download, Reclaim Your Life, at crazyperfectlife.com with tips and tools to help you feel your best. It would mean so much to us if you shared this with your friends and family and left us a review on iTunes. Remember, you deserve to thrive. Drive podcast is copyrighted by Darren and Garth.